Hello everyone and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show. I'm delighted to have Luke Frieden in the studio and my colleague Steve Miller. We're going to have a political discussion but we're also going to start with a review of the news with Steve who is here in lieu of Sasha. So it's been a great pleasure to have you on the morning show this week Steve and I know Sasha, a call out to Sasha, I believe she's dropping uh, one or possibly two of her children off to university this week. So it's that time of year where uh, nests empty for mothers and students go off and homes feel a little bit different. So good luck to Sasha and all of the parents dropping children off to universities all around Europe, it seems, in Luxembourg, uh, from Luxembourg rather. And uh, and we wish the students and the parents well as their, their homes just... Uh, digest life in a different way when there's a there's a missing presence there. Anyway, Steve, so you've picked some topics to discuss and I know that uh, Mr. Frieden, uh, we're going to introduce you with our discussion, but for those who don't know, you're of course the, the uh, leader of CSPAO and uh, we have seen your poster everywhere, but we, I'll introduce you more formally in a few moments, which of course you can uh, give us your opinions on these stories. So Steve, over to you. Hello, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, So yes, there's a couple of subjects which have come up in the news, particularly this week, uh, which I think are important to discuss, particularly with elections coming up and the the impact that these issues have on Luxembourg, not just as a city. Sometimes we can be a little bit city centric, uh, but also in the country as a whole for all people and uh, not just also citizens and nationals, essentially. So the first subject uh, that, that really struck this week was related to the housing market. Of course, uh, <laughs> it's, and, a, yes. it's, a, it's a, a weekly topic. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a big subject in Luxembourg. But what the point that we appear to be heading towards now is that it's all com- becoming a little bit gummed up and static on all sites. Yeah. Uh, so this week we had the Federation of Luxembourg Industrialists, uh, their board of directors came out uh, to make comments uh, with regards to an upcoming potential loss of skilled labour, uh, issues relating to the the timescales involved in development. Um, and that obviously has a, a knock-on effect for people who are trying to buy houses, people who are trying to sell houses, people who are trying to rent. And in Luxembourg, we already know there is a reasonable shortage of at least even affordable housing, uh, let alone new apartments, etc., for people to move into. And with the population increasing every year, uh, we've just had figures out, I think it's about 660,000 mm-hmm. uh, residents now, the number of houses being built doesn't seem to correspond to that requirement. But I think from the, from the outside, for people that are trying to secure a property, be it rent or purchase... All they see are problems. And it's the, it's the same things again and again. Not enough houses are being built. So when that question is asked, it's, well, it takes a long time for this to happen. That combined with things like mortgage rates as well and the, the cost of materials, etc., are hitting people in the pocket, but they're also hitting construction companies in the pocket as well. People are looking for higher wages. So skilled labour costs are going up as well. Uh, so for me personally, I'm a little bit worried that this is going to come to a head and it's all something has to give essentially. And we were talking in the office as well just this morning about uh, the amount percentage of a person's monthly income that yes. they're spending on rent. Yes. Um, let me just dig up the the figures here. Uh, essentially, in well, this is twenty nineteen figures. Household in the lowest quintile spent about fifty percent of their budget on rent. The category above that was thirty six percent of their income on rent. 
And amongst the 20 richest households, their rent prices or mortgage payments are less than 20% of their budget. So there's a very big disparity there. And it's not as if we have a, I wouldn't want to say a class system in place that has rental rates and purchasing rates lower for certain workers or people. This is for everybody, so it does impact everybody. Well, given that we have Luke Frieden in the studio, I'm sure that you've been thinking about, I know from our previous conversation, uh, housing is, of course, one of the continual conversations in Luxembourg, and I'm sure it's something that you've thought deeply about. Sure. Good morning, first Good of all. morning. Good morning. Show. I think uh, this issue did not start yesterday, and I'm a little bit surprised that uh, the parties in government discover this to some extent during this election campaign. Because 10 years ago, the government promised to build around 10,000 houses for affordable housing. But in addition, we need every year some 6,000 new houses. So we know that we have a strong increase in population uh, and the right measures were not taken. We need to reduce uh, the procedures. You mentioned this uh, time that it takes between the authorization to build and the building and uh, all these building permits. I think that needs to be uh, modernized with uh, rather strict um, time periods within which the city or uh, the state needs to give the approvals. And then we also need to introduce or reintroduce some tax measures to encourage people to invest in real estate. This government of liberals, uh, socialists and um, the Greens made it more difficult to build. And the CSV, uh, as uh, the leading party of the opposition, uh, thinks that we have tools in our hand to increase uh, the building. And that will, otherwise, we will come, not only Luxembourg will be unattractive for the future, but also it will lead to uh, less social cohesion because some people will have a house and the others will be will not have a house or cannot afford it. Uh, so I guess we will come back to that uh, purchasing power. All that is extremely related. Yes. It's not salary versus housing. I mean, we need higher salaries or net income for people because of the rents and the loans indeed because of the interest rates. Yes, it seems to be almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of problems that compound. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. We will come back to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> we will come back to that because it's one of the most important topics for, for voters often. But particularly, I think, amongst our listenership, you know, housing is one of the, for people coming to Luxembourg to live in Luxembourg, whether it be renting first off for most people, yeah. renting continually, sadly, for many people, because the dream of owning a house here is, is such a difficult thing. Steve, uh, topic number two. Topic number two. Uh, this is one that has definitely been building of late and it's related to the issues in the GAR area. Um, there's There was a march demonstration last week that ended up in front of the, the palace. Uh, there was, I don't know the figures of how many were there, but there were certainly hundreds and hundreds of people there, placards, uh, business owners, residents, quite a mix. Um, but it's it's not just an issue which impacts people that, that live there. It's for people that pass through the GAR as well, use the transport system. And the the common opinion seems to be that the, the characteristics of the GAR, although, I mean, I've lived here a long time and it's not always been the most well-polished part of the city, shall we say. Uh, but there definitely seems to have been a change with regards to the atmosphere, activities that are taking place openly in the GAR. Uh, there was a an Instagram and social media feed that was set up detailing comments from locals 
things that they've seen, photographs they've taken, so things like open drug use, uh, violent confrontation, confrontations with strangers, people even trying to squat in people's calves and the police having to come and remove them, and just a kind of general unease. Mm. Now, Where are you from in Scotland? Uh, I'm from Falkirk in central Scotland. It's a very old industrial area. Yeah, and, and, and I lived in London a long time. So for you and I, when people when I first moved to Luxembourg and people said, oh, you know, Gar has this reputation for not being the perhaps nicest of locations, I, I always smiled because for me it, it was always fine. But this is the first time in Luxembourg I've seen any demonstration like this with residents and business owners. So there is something changing. As you said, it's been documented, yes. citizen journalism in a way, on social media. So something has to change. And I know Lily Polfo was there as well. Uh, yes, and uh, she had a, a conference this week uh, where she explained that as much as she would like to provide assistance or solutions, uh, she and herself is limited, even although she's kind of in charge of the police. She doesn't decide police policy. That's for the, that's for the head of the police. And although no solution was given, she's hoping for changes in the law uh, to allow whatever solutions are required to take place or agreed. Uh, however, those sort of changes, one, again, take time. And two, they have to wait for a new government to, to be set and to agree these things. So is open drug use illegal or legal? I don't know the answer to that. Personally, I don't. I think... I think it would probably fall un more under the police remit of a social disruption type issue. I'm going to turn to the lawyer in the room. The, the ownership of drugs is uh, illegal and therefore you first need to own the drugs. So I think that the, the, the situation in the GAR uh, and around the area of the GAR, the station, has always been difficult, but the situation became worse over the past three years. And the mayor indeed does not have the power to uh, give instructions to the police. Uh, the police is, belongs to the state and uh, therefore it is at the level of the state that needs to do uh, more. Um, the CSV is clearly in favour of having more police on the ground because if you don't remove these people, if you don't sanction um, the illegal possession of uh, drugs or other crimes that are related to that, I think you will come to a situation where the rule of law is no longer observed. People will not enjoy anymore going to the station or to the shops around. But we also notice that the situation is not only getting worse at the Gar, but also at the Hamilius, um, which was thought after the um, uh, bus station was removed and uh, quite nice um, houses were being built with shops and so on. That would be a new nice place. However, the number of um, small crimes that were committed there uh, doubled over the last three years. So um, I think this is, not, this is not acceptable. And so I think there needs to be more police on the ground. People need to be uh, arrested if necessary and they need to uh, be sanctioned by a court of law in a short period of time. Otherwise, the situation will get worse and worse. And then in addition, of course, uh, to be complete, there need to be also done some social work because obviously this is uh, this is a fundamental problem of where do these people come from and why are they addicted to drugs. So I know that police is not the only answer, but for the ordinary citizens, obviously the police is the answer to remove these people or to help these people, uh, but this situation cannot go on. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
Well, I mean, again, that's something that we can dig into a little bit more. But in fact, you answered the question that was in my mind. Police is not just, that's the perhaps the first layer of solution, but really, why are these people taking drugs in the first place? And that's the social answer that's required as well. Well, we're going to move to an election point now. Election misinformation in social media. Yes. Uh, so this week, well, we know it's been an ever-growing problem over the years uh, on various platforms, and it's a problem at local, national and, I suppose, continental level, if you consider the, the EU institutions. And, and intercontinental level. Or intercontinental, <laughs> yes. Uh, and a recent EU investigation into misinformation policies has basically called out the social media platform. Some have improved uh, upon the instruction of the EU a couple of years back. Uh, but for example, X or Twitter, however you wish to refer to it, uh, in particular has been earmarked as being particularly bad. And in today's news, uh, Elon Musk quite confidently announced that he has uh, stripped back all of the misinformation ability of the platform and the teams that work on that platform to deal with misinformation. Now, with elections coming up... I wonder how he's doing that. Well, I think he just tells people to do it and they have to do it. With a downsized team. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how he's doing it. It's a lot of power to have in one's hands, particularly for something which can have such negative effects as we saw in the US uh, fairly recently and nobody expected that at all. So I'm just wondering... How do politicians in Luxembourg, even although Luxembourg's a small country, we do see little bits of misinformation. We have fact-checking on our website. Mm -hmm. how, how are politicians finding this as a problem? So, for example, if you're being approached by voters and they're asking questions to things based on misinformation, do you feel you have the enough of the correct information or the tools and the ability to be able to convince those people of what's, I, I wouldn't say what's actually real, there's always perspective, but trying to stick to facts. It comes down to trust. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. I think social media in general is something that makes um, uh, political life much more difficult. Because uh, you, uh, when I think back of my first election campaigns, uh, you had organised media. Uh, so there was a fact-checking done not everything that journalists write is always right, but still, there's an, um, these people are professionals, they have, um, they have uh, a chief editor, so if they write things that are wrong, you can challenge it, or <clears throat> most media try uh, to, to do their research before they air something. And there was the, the point of time, before 24-hour yeah. television. Sure. Everybody has his own... Uh, radio or media station today and, and that makes it extremely difficult. So I think you cannot really fight against this misinformation. Um, for, if you meet people, of course, you can discuss it with them, you can challenge it, but you don't meet all the voters. So I think it's a real, a real challenge. This being said, I think also what is misinformation? Because some people might do it just to harm others or to put wrong information into the channel. For others, it might just be the expression of an opinion. And therefore, I always felt also it's a little bit difficult also for an um, operator of a platform, be it X or another one, to say this you can air and this you cannot. If it is racist or otherwise, um, it's very clear. It's, but if it is in between, then it gets much more difficult to, um, to challenge it. And who is the one 
who can say this is okay and this is not okay. Mm -hmm. Extreme cases are obvious, but in between, I think there's a gray zone that is very difficult to handle for the people who consume it and for those who operate these platforms. I'll give you an example. The Pirate Party have on their uh, posters as you drive around the country, um, 10 euros per square metre for land. And I spoke to Sven Clement about this and he said, well, obviously it's not true. We don't think that, but it's a point of conversation. He wants to start the conversation about the cost of land. So for him, it's clearly misinformation, <laughs> but he's got it on the posters and, um, and he's using it as a point of discussion. Yeah. I think you shouldn't do these things because it is also misleading. I wouldn't call it misinformation in that uh, concrete uh, example, but it is misleading because somebody might just see it and say, okay. Um, uh, and um, so I think what it should be, what is on the poster should also be credible and um, uh, should work in practice uh, if you are elected. Mine is easier. Mine is time for change, but we, we might come back to that. Oh, we will. <laughs> time for change. Yes, even I understood the Luxembourgish there. I, I was looking at the posters and uh, thinking, yeah. oh, I can understand that. Um, you know, you mentioned Elon Musk. Well, yes. Elon Musk has also been doing a tour and is meeting various leaders of countries, Italy, etc. You know, he has huge power. And, and I turn to you, uh, Luke Frieden, to talk to us about your thoughts on billionaires, the Elon Musks of the world, who end up having political power due to their wealth. What do you think about that? I think that is a situation that we don't have that much in Europe. So therefore, I think it's a, a rather American uh, topic. I think that in Luxembourg or even in the neighbouring countries, it's much more about ideas. And um, wealth, individual wealth, doesn't matter. I think it also has to do with the fact that our election campaigns are not financed by um, individuals, but every party receives some money from the state uh, based on a certain formula, uh, the importance in parliament based on the last elections. But so uh, we do not ask people uh, to um, pay for our expenditures for the campaign. And I think that has a huge positive impact on how we do election campaigns in, in Luxembourg and in Europe. And just coming back to what was the point that you raised, Steve, uh, it was about election campaigns, misinformation on social media. Another question really for Luxembourg. Uh, again, I moved here eight years ago uh, and I was amazed how much paper came through my post box. Um, and still now in this election, there's a lot of paper out there that's coming through. So uh, what are the main ways in which all of the parties use media, whether it be post or social media or interviews like this. What strategies do you use to reach the voters? All kind of strategies. So I think um, these uh, posters in the streets, although I do think that there are too many, uh, so <laughs> quite it, a lot. it dilutes <laughs> a little bit the message. So I think going forward, we have to think whether we should not limit, especially all these um, uh, uh, all these posters on the various uh, on, the, on the on the lamps on the lights uh, lighting system in the city. I, I find it's a little bit too much. You drive but, past yourself every five seconds. Yeah, yeah that, that's even <laughs> that's even worse. No, but I think there are, there are too many. So I think people do not remember even these names. And um, uh, and then we have the classical media, um, uh, radio, television, um, uh, the newspapers. Then of course the social media play a role. So I would say we use all the tools. The paper that is being sent in the houses, 
uh, you might find that old-fashioned coming from outside, but our experience shows that that is very often what people read. So sending to every household a summary of your election program, it lies on your kitchen table or wherever you are during the day, so you may look at it, you may look at the at the various photographs, so therefore all the I think all the major parties kept this uh, system. And by the way, there again, um, the state finances, uh, the sending out of these um, uh, mails, um, it's limited in number, but uh, so that is also supported by uh, the state. So Actually, by the taxpayer. It's yeah, the taxpayer who pays it. <laughs> by you, by you, by... Um, We're paying uh, for these. Yeah. We are paying for this, but we are in democracy. And don't forget, uh, in Luxembourg, unlike many other countries, people have the obligation to vote. And so it's extremely important that every household, independent of whether they have, they have newspapers or not at home, independent of their social or professional or educational background, they must go for to vote. And I think that's a huge difference. So there is an obligation by the state and therefore by the political parties to tell people what they are standing for. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, you're going to stay with us uh, for the hour. And now to our listeners, I'm going to give you a formal introduction because most people will. After the interview. Oh, well, no, no, no. That was just a lovely little chat with Steve. But um, no, no. Um, as with all of my guests, I uh, I want to do a proper sort of interview with you now because uh, we have your time here in the studio and also because you are a very important figure in the political campaign here coming up for elections in one week's time. Uh, Luke Frieden, you held cabinet positions already from 1998 to 2013. You were president of the Luxembourg Chamber of Commerce and Eurochamber the Business Federation of European Chambers of Commerce and Industry, a lawyer by training. You studied in the Sorbonne in Paris, Cambridge in the UK and Harvard. You were elected to the Chambre des Députés in 1994 for CSV then the youngest member of the House, and aged just 34, you became the Minister of Justice in the government of Jean-Claude Juncker. 98-2009, you served as Minister for the Treasury and Budget, 2004-2006, Minister of Defence, 2009-2013, Minister of Finance. So, you were in politics a long time, and then you left. And we had an interview a couple of years ago, I can't remember the precise date, and uh, and you've come back to politics. So why have you come back? Well, it was a big surprise to me as well. Really? Um, I didn't expect this to happen, but uh, I, I left about 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, my party came to see me, the leadership of the party came and they said, we need you. And why? Because they said you have a unique combination of experience in government, in the cabinet positions you mentioned, and in the private sector. And in these difficult economic times, um, we need somebody with that experience. So I first hesitated to say yes, because I thought, is this the thing I should do? But then um, I thought that if my party or my country uh, wants me to do this, and whether the country wants it or not, that depends on the voters, then you should say yes. It's a little bit, the uh, my purpose in life is to serve the general interest. I've always been fascinated by that since my very young age. That's why I was in Parliament already at a very young age. And so I thought that, yes, I can bring my experience to into a government position and to, to serve the, the general interest again. And therefore, 
after two or three weeks of um, intensive consultation with my family and myself, uh, I decided to say yes. And so now I'm the lead candidate uh, for the CSV, uh, which is the largest party in Luxembourg. Yes. And for our listenership and our viewers, uh, I would like to just... uh dig down a little bit into CSV. As we mentioned just before we came in here, um, perhaps DP or, well, not Pirate Party necessarily, but the Green Party or the Socialist Party, people understand what that means. CSV, uh, the name doesn't entirely explain what you are. So give us a little bit of background there. So the CSV um, is since World War II the largest party of this country, even today. Uh, We are... um, twice as large as the parties that are in government. Um, It's a centre-right party. It's in some countries it would be called the Christian Democrats, like in Germany, the CDU in Germany of Chancellor Merkel, that's the same political uh, family. You can't really compare it to the UK uh, because um, uh, we would be probably closer to the Conservatives, but we don't like the term Conservative in in Luxembourg because it sounds a little bit uh, in Luxembourgish old-fashioned looking backwards. So we are um, a party that combines uh, an attractive economy with a strong social um, policy and, of course, um, a responsible ecological uh, policy. But So I would say it's um, an, a party, the, the, the party that combines some of the policies of the Liberal Party and elements in social policy from the Social Democrats. But um, again, at the European level, and that might be interesting for some of your uh, listeners, it's the European People's Party, so which is also the largest party in the European Parliament. We belong to that uh, political family. And uh, one of the questions that I've had recurrent to me is, um, what really differenti- differentiates you from the DP? I think it's, as I just said, the combination of economy, social and ecology, we bring that together uh, in um, in in a different balance than the other two uh, or three uh, parties. Um, I might also, I, I forgot to mention that beforehand, uh, we were the party that was in charge of government for a very long time. And uh, you mentioned beforehand uh, uh, Prime Minister Jean-Claude Juncker, Uh, Also, two of his predecessors, uh, Jacques Santar and Pierre Werner, uh, who played also an important role uh, at the European level, they were all from the Christian Democrats from the CSV. So um, there is a long tradition of leadership in this country. And many of the the things that people enjoy today, uh, like the financial center, the benefits of which they enjoy, the financial center, the satellite company, SES, and others, they were all... Uh, launched by uh, Prime Ministers coming from my party, the CSV. And then it changed in 2013. Why did it change? I mean, apart from the vote, obviously, but, but why do you think people wanted a change? Not, part of, not, not because of the vote, because even then the, the Christian coalition. Democrats had uh, the, the, the most members of Parliament. Sorry, the coalition. But, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, it changed because I think there was, after a very long time in government... There was an ambition of the three other parties, Liberals, Socialists and Greens, to show that they also could do it without uh, Jean-Claude Juncker and without the CSV. And so I think that was an anti-program 
rather than um, in a positive agenda. This being said, I think at the beginning, this new coalition, which we often call in Luxembourgish Gambia coalition, because of a flag of uh, Gambia in Africa, mm -hmm. so this uh, blue, red, green, uh, they um, had one or two issues which they wanted to achieve, uh, like the separation of state and church, um, and uh, the introduction of uh, gay marriage, which we would also have done, but they, this was for them an agenda, uh, and they achieved that. I think in the last five years, so they are now in their second term, their common agenda is much weaker. And um, we believe that many of the issues that the country is facing now, where there are problems, um, purchasing power, uh, safety issues, which we just discussed, housing issues, there is a necessity to have a new uh, policy and that's also why we have the slogan time for change and I can tell you that we even put that a few days ago at least in Luxembourg city with an English the English slogan uh, I decided to change it in time for change because I think that is English that everybody understands but it's also for the new Luxembourgers uh, to be to know what we stand for well uh, yes I have noticed that actually I, I'm going to come back to that um, but you mentioned the separation of state and church. Um, would you have done that, given C, S, V? First of all, Luxembourg always had a kind of separation uh, to the extent that it was not a state religion, unlike the UK. Um, what it meant mainly is that uh, the uh, the ministers of, the, of all the recognized religions, i.e. Catholic, uh, Jews, uh, Protestants, um, the salaries were paid by the state, and that is what they what they stopped. I think we we might have done it differently. We might not have done it in such an ideological manner. Um, this government, I think, this the population, the, there is an evolution evolution in society, which you have to take into account. Uh, so we would have done changes, but in a different way. By the way, I think that the party went. This government went too far because they prohibit even municipalities to give subsidies to the church to renovate the buildings. And I think that is totally unacceptable. That is ideological, because these churches in the villages, they are uh, as much religious than, uh, as well as cultural buildings. And I think um, that needs to be reviewed, because I would like the churches to, to stay even if you do not believe or belong to another uh, religion, uh, I think it's part of our heritage. Mm -hmm. And I think that traditions and heritage, even if you are forward-looking, belong to a society and you should not eradicate that. Which is part of a conservative mindset, but to use it in the, the word conservation mindset. Right. Um, well, now that you mentioned uh, you've changed uh, time for change, uh, don't get me to pronounce Luxembourgish, but the Luxembourgish is Zeit. Exactly, it's this. <laughs> I was at a wonderful dinner last night and a friend of mine, Louise Benjamin, who is British, uh, but Luxembourg nationality, married to a Luxembourger, three boys here. She asked me to ask you why all the brochures in the post are mostly in Luxembourgish and her level of Luxembourgish is not adequate to understand everything. So that was her question. I'll throw it to you now. The short answer is that if she looks at these brochures, there's a QR code on it with which you can uh, see, the, um, in the case of the CSV, uh, the French, uh, the uh, German, and in some cases the Portuguese um, 
uh, and the English, the English, and in some cases the Portuguese translations. So, if she's looking for the English translation, you find it at least for the summary of the key elements of the program. The language for these brochures that you get in your mailbox—that is always an issue of a long debate within uh, our political party. I think within all political parties, because we are we are targeting the Luxembourg voters. And the Luxembourg voters do not want to read this in English. Some do not want to read this in French. Um, some do not want to read it in German. So it's very difficult to find the language that unites everybody. So But who is the Luxembourg voter? Because Louise has Luxembourgish yeah. nationality now. I think the, the largest number of Luxembourg voters speak Luxembourgish. But it's true that in the past, over the past uh, 15 years, quite a number of new Luxembourgers, if I may call them like that, uh, joined our community. By the way, um, I was Minister of Justice uh, when we introduced the dual citizenship law. So I'm at the origin of these 70,000 Luxembourgers who um, joined our uh, community uh, since then. I think that's very important for the integration of all those who live here pay taxes here, live with us here. But again, the language question remains a very difficult one. I asked the question as well, um, but we agreed on Luxembourgish with a QR code and translations. That was the common uh, denominator on this uh, difficult issue. Well, Louise, our, our, there's our, your answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, an another question, uh, this comes from Louise's husband. <laughs> I should have attended the dinner, maybe. You should have attended. <laughs> in fact, you could have because of uh, it was a university dinner. You should have attended the dinner, in fact, and then you would have answered lots of people's questions. <laughs> let, let me just go with the questions then. I was going to um, keep them for the end, but here we go. Um, Apparently, there's a lot, this is the question, there's a lot of talk in Luxembourg circles, Luxembourgish people, about why you're now known as Luc Frieden and not Monsieur Frieden anymore. And the same for Paulette Lennart. And so why, why are people using their first names now rather? Apparently, this is a talking point. Yes, that's true. Um, I think people change their attitude vis-à-vis -vis the authorities. And so you... you um, people became more close to the, to the leadership, um, unlike maybe what was true 50 years ago. Um, Xavier Bettel started this, actually, uh, five or ten years ago, I can't remember, with Xavier. He was always, he wanted to be very cool and so on. I think <laughs> that had an influence on the marketing of politicians. And uh, in my case, um, I think also the fact that I have a very short name, Luc, Uh, makes it easy also to, uh, much easier to communicate with just a name like that, to use it, hashtag look, for instance. So, um, and I find it, um, I find it quite nice. So I, I agreed with that uh, since the beginning. I thought uh, it, um, yeah, it makes you uh, more, uh, yeah, approachable, let's say like that. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, you've just reminded me of something I was told when I started working in television a long time ago. Uh, somebody told me that um, three syllables for a name is very good. Steve Miller, Luke Frieden, Lisa Burke. So <laughs> we all ah, work. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So three syllables. It's about all a brain can take. <laughs> Savier. Yeah, they all work, actually. <laughs> Um, now, I'll stick with these questions from last night. So Peter Munro, who is head of IR and sustainable finance division at the EIB, he actually also studied uh 
the famous PPE course at Oxford and was a year below Boris Johnson and that cohort. So he wanted to know how a politician develops long-term strategy for Luxembourg versus the reality of what is normally a short-term political lifetime. I think you need to have a long-term vision for your country uh, if you want to be in a leader posi leadership position. At the same time, you need, of course, to answer the immediate needs of the people, like housing, like uh, safety at the gar. Mm. You cannot... that, But this must be part of what I always call the bigger picture. Um, I'm even using that word very often in Luxembourgish. Look at the bigger picture. Like taxation, you can say the rich should pay more taxes, like the socialists say in this election campaign. I say, well, let's look at the bigger picture. What do we want to achieve? Can we set taxation in abstract or do we have to look what is London, Dublin and other places doing? We are in an open competition. I want Luxembourg to be an attractive company for people and companies. So if I keep that in mind as a long-term vision, I need to lower taxes or I need to have taxes which are more attractive than our competitors. So this is the combination, having a long-term vision, seeing the bigger picture and then, of course, take into account the short-term needs of the people. If you only look at the short-term needs, I think you are not, um, you should not be in a leadership position for a country. The only reason politicians often, sometimes, might <laughs> look at short-term vision is to get voted in so that they can then affect change because you need to be voted in in the first place to affect a long-term vision. That's true. That, that uh, we, we live, fortunately, in a democracy. And in a democracy, of course, you need also to convince the voters. But I think if you are only short-term, people will see that quickly and they might nevertheless not vote for you. So if I look back at my uh, professional life or the CSV's uh, long time in government, there was a strategy there, um, as I said, to make this country attractive, to attract foreign investors, to bring to this country new ideas. And I think that is the guiding principle that will lead uh, also uh, a government in which uh, I hopefully will be uh, in the future. Well, uh, people think this is going to be a very close election. Everything suggests it's going to be very, very close. And in the history of Luxembourg, there have been a number of very close elections. I think uh, I, you'll probably remember the year. One of them was just one vote, one way or the other. So uh, what's going to swing it in your favour? I hope uh, our election program and all what I said over the past uh, few weeks. I think since I came back uh, as um, the lead candidate of the CSV, the polls have been in our uh, direction. So uh, there was a positive move. I think there is um, uh, many people want the new government. So some things have to do with the CSV and its program. But uh, for some voters, and for many voters, I think, um, they will say this coalition of three does not work anymore. They have policies that go in different directions. Um, and so, therefore, I think that it will be a combination of the two that will lead to a massive vote for the CSV. But we are not there. No, I think it will be yet. very difficult. It will be very difficult. It will it probably be a very narrow uh, result but it's a more open race than ever. And people have to think that's also, again, why we use this slogan, time for change. It's not just that we want to be in government, but we believe that on housing, on the economy, on um, uh, safety issues, on health issues, access to healthcare, there needs to be a new policy in the government, and that's why we need a new government and a different coalition.
I'm just thinking about the, the power of three again, time for change. Those three syllables, they work every time. That's why it's good to turn it to English because I think there are more syllables in the Luxembourgish. Now, in a recent TV debate on RTL, in fact, uh, Prime Minister Bettel said, uh, and I quote, Mr. Frieden might not like to hear it, but the new Luke is still part of the old CSV. What did he mean by that? I don't know. You have to ask him. <laughs> okay, fair, fair I point. Think, um, I think it's, uh, of course, the um, he needs to find a, a, a f- something to say about uh, the competitor. Mm. Um, I'm proud to say that the Christian Democrats, the CSV, is an party with a lot of experience and a lot of traditions. and But it's at the same time a party that, of course, lives in the current time. And if you take time for change, but it, in Luxembourg, a new policy, it also means that, of course, we want something different than this government, but also something different from what we did 20 years ago, because society changed in Luxembourg, the macroeconomic environment changed, geopolitical environment unfortunately uh, changed with this terrible war in Ukraine. So all these factors, of course, need to be taken in, into account. And that is what we what we stand for. So it's a new look and it's also an, an kind of new CSV based on the traditions of the past and the experience of the past. Now, you're clearly a very intelligent man. Nobody would doubt that. And some people think in politics, one needs to have a certain charisma. We can think of certain politicians who have this as well. How important do you think charisma is on top of intelligence or in some cases for politicians, I can think of instead of intelligence? Extremely important because people vote for human beings. They they vote for people. Um, and um, so they vote for a program, but I think they also vote uh, for people. And um, I have done already five election campaigns, I think, if I'm right. Um, I always had a very good election result, and I always asked myself, why? And I think when you talk to people, it's um, it's a combination of many factors. Some of them are more objective, and some of them are more subjective. And um, so... I think it depends also probably on the voters. <laughs> uh, but um, you certainly need to to connect with the people. And everybody connects in a different uh, way. Um, I'm not uh, the same person than um, uh, the, the, the prime minister. He's not like me and I'm not like him. And I think we are all human beings. We are complementary, but we are human beings. And I think that is very important for people to know. We have families uh, we have, um, I have two kids, I, I have uh, a wife that is working in, in a financial institution. So I think all these elements play and voters also want to know about that. And that changed probably also since the beginning of my political life. Um, in the brochures that you got at home, at which you can read in English on the QR code. QR code. Um, <laughs> I published this time for the first time. Uh, at the request of many of my friends and the com companies, also some pictures of my youth, of my family, because they they, they all believe that the people need to know Luke more than just in his function as Minister of Finance or Minister of Justice. And I think they are right. Mm, yeah, Even if I'm always very reluctant to mix private life with public life, because Politicians also should have a right to privacy. And I think it's also sometimes very nice to be out of the public eye. Yeah. And I, I actually think Luxembourg is quite respectful of that because Luxembourg is a small place. You can bump into one another and it's quite hard to have those 
delineations sometimes in one's life in Luxembourg. Now, let's get on to the hardcore stuff, taxes. You've brought them up yourself. It is uh, perhaps one of the most important things which defines party policy. So, for example, a lot of people in Luxembourg talk about the single tax ban versus married or people who are widowed with or without children, etc. So where do you as CSV stand on this? Our main objective after these elections is to reduce the tax rate, to increase thereby the purchasing power of the people. That can be done in December of this year for next year already. That is that people pay less taxes, especially the middle classes. That is very important and that is our first objective for private uh, person's taxations. The whole discussion about uh, classes, it's the other parties who started that discussion, but they don't tell people how they will do it. Prime Minister Bettel promised that already 10 years ago on behalf of the entire government. They didn't do it because it's very difficult. I tell you as a former finance minister, it's very difficult. Do you take people out of class two for married people, put them in the class one of single people, Actually, or do we do it the other way around? And both have just, huge impacts. Let's just explain for our yeah. listeners, because we have international listeners as sure. well, and the tax ban system here is quite different from, well, in many ways it's quite different from other countries. Yeah. So let's just explain what we mean by the classes here. Yeah. It's very difficult to explain it, but I would say, I, in short, uh, if you are... If you are married or live together, um, then the two salaries are put together. You are in uh, class two, and class two you pay less taxes than if you are a single person. That is particular for people where one of the two earn less, uh, then this has a huge impact on your tax rate. So single people pay most taxes. And uh, people who are taxed together, so married or uh, pax, I don't know how you call it in English. We um, don't really have it in yeah, English. No. <laughs> we, we, so, we don't so really living have together with a contract, <laughs> yes. civil union, yeah. you may call it in, in France, uh, they are taxed together. So the, the question here is, of all the other parties who say, we want the what they call in Luxembourg or in French, the uh, individualization of taxes, so everybody in the same tax class, they don't say in which tax class they will do it and how it will work. Because either everybody will pay more then, or they will pay less, but then it costs the state a huge amount of money. Mm. And therefore, the CSV says that's not the most urgent issue. The most urgent issue is reduce the tax rate for people, especially in times of high inflation, high energy costs, um, and um, uh, so that is our first objective. Uh, and then we are open we are open to take into account the evolution of society and to discuss about different classes of taxation, which means in fact that you do not consider anymore two people living together, but everybody living for his own and being taxed on his own. But I tell you it's very difficult to achieve that without people having to pay more taxes. The unfairness, I can see that clearly you're looking at it from the uh, economic point of view, from the policy point of view, from our point of view as potential voters or voters to our listeners out there or international listeners too. I hope you're enjoying this uh, tax conversation we're having. Um, it's, it's the unfairness of, you know, you work very hard as a single person or worse than that, if you're um, a divorced person with children you're classed in a higher tax band than somebody who's taxed or somebody with a... You know, there's an unfairness there and, and, and a real cost to the pocket. 
I fully understand that. Um, that's why we have to change it. But there is also the unfairness of those who today, so therefore the question is in which category do you put these people? Because those who are today married, they pay less taxes. That came traditionally from the fact that historically one person was working and the other one did not have an income or a lower income. Together they were taxed less. So if you tell all these people today they will be taxed like single persons, they will pay much, many more taxes. Mm. If you tell all the single person they will be taxed like the married people, then this will cost the state about 2 billion euros, which in the Luxembourg budget is quite a lot. And therefore, I am extremely surprised that the three parties of the government who say this for 10 years, they did not do it. So all those who complain about it, they should ask those parties, the liberals, the socialists and the greens, why they didn't do it. And secondly, if they do it, how are they going to do it? Again, I say, as leader of the Christian Democrats, we are very open for this discussion, but it will time, take time to do it, but we have no ideological barrier to change something there. But I would like to know in which direction we, be, uh, we are going to. Well, this is, I did, of course, ask Yurika Bakas about this, and she gave me pretty much the same answer. Ideologically, they absolutely believe it should be changed, and she said it will take a long time. So that doesn't give me any... I mean, nobody really has the answer. So I'm curious to know, effectively, you're saying you all believe in it ideologically, but you haven't figured out how to do it in order to recoup that two billion euro deficit that would be caused by it. That's right. I would just say, and um, I would make a, sm a slight nuance. There are also many people in this country who are married uh, and who consider that being taxed like single persons would not be would not recognize the family element that was part of um, the traditional history of taxation of Luxembourg. So they consider that as an attack on family life. And I think that sensitivity also has to be taken into account. Uh, that is not necessarily my opinion, but I am sensitive to that consideration. I would add something else. For me, having children is a key factor that in the future should be taken into account in, the, in taxation. You mentioned the divorced people. The divorce in itself is one element when the tax situation changes. I'm not talking about the emotional uh, part of it. I'm talking here about taxation. But if you are divorced and you have one or two kids, indeed your expenditures are higher than a single person without kids because you need to rent an apartment or buy an apartment with a few uh, bedrooms for your kids and so on. So your expenditures is higher. And even if you are married, expenditures, if you have kids, and as I said, I have two kids, that is expensive. So I think we, and, and we have that in our election program, we believe that there should be more deduction possibles for expenditures related to children. And even in a new tax system, That is for me extremely important because children are the future of the country and we should encourage people uh, or support people when they have kids and not discourage them. I'm looking at the time and we have uh, nine minutes left. So short answers to these, please. I'll right. try and flick through them as quickly as I can. Although I'm very curious to know how you're going to, to lower the tax bans, actually. Can you briefly tell me how you'll lower taxation? Let's put it that way. Where will you get the money from for Luxembourg? You said you'll try to reduce taxes for everybody. 
We know from experience that if you reduce taxes, people spend more money, ah. invest more, so that generates new activity. And um, uh, especially for the middle classes, they will run over their house, they will buy a new car, they will go to the shop, so that will generate new activity and therefore also new income for the state. Okay, so quick reply answers then. Um, should we have tax bans that move organically with inflation to avoid the indexations being yes. triggered? That was nice and concise. Um, okay, inheritance tax, your views? No. Oh, <laughs> these are very short. You were my, yeah, you forced me to do I, so. Yeah, I, I like it. Okay, wealth tax then, wealth tax? No. Okay, tobacco, should it be taxed more? Open to that discussion, yes. Okay. Could be taxed more, but again, there, um, it's a little bit like taxation on fuel. Um, you need to see whether it's a health objective or whether you do it to... Health, health objective. Yeah. Health objective, then you, you should consider that. But I think we also have to look at the... At, uh, the um, you, you cannot change that from one day to another because it's also an important income uh, for the state. But I think we increased it already, even when I was in government. And, uh, but not I'm, by much. Yeah, but because... Oh, that's not true. We increased it, but the other countries increased it even more. Mm. Yes, yeah, comparatively not much. Yes, but I mean, uh, health, I say health because, of course, it costs you money in healthcare. Of course. Okay, let's move on to... Um, I'm a non-smoker, so it, uh, it, and there are less and less smokers, so I think the issue is, um, is one more of education also about the negative consequences of uh, smoking uh, and uh, other drugs uh, also. Indeed. Now you that was not your question. Uh, no, but it's a perfectly good comment. I, I, I could go down that rabbit hole, but I've got seven minutes left. <laughs> Voting. So you already mentioned that you introduced that you were in government when they uh, introduced dual citizenship and you were very uh, fundamental in that. Uh, what should the level of Luxembourgish language be uh, to obtain citizenship so that more of our listeners could have a right to vote? A passive knowledge of the language. I find that very important. I think if you can listen to uh, RTL <laughs> and understand what's going on, I think going understanding what's going on, I think that's very important. My wife, by the way, is Dutch. She became Luxembourgish through the law of dual citizenship. But she always said the fact that she could listen, she learned Luxembourgish very quickly, the fact that she could listen to the news and understand what other parents said when um, uh, she or I, when we brought the kids to school and so on. I think a passive knowledge of the language is the key element for integration. Even if you answer in German, French, English, I think most people in Luxembourg uh, will not mind. And, okay, so you do think that there should be a level of knowledge to obtain Luxembourg nationality? Yes, because it's important for the integration of foreigners and Luxembourgers. It's also important for the political debate. It's important to have one language in which this extreme multicultural society works together. Mm -hmm. Okay, so access to government... And politics is in Luxembourgish. Parliament speaks Luxembourgish. If you listen to the speech, State of the Union of the Prime Minister, it's all in Luxembourgish. So I think it's... You don't need to speak perfectly Luxembourgish, but understand a little bit what's going on. I think that's useful. Well, that comes to my next question. Access to government or working in public office. Uh, at the moment, people need to have the three national languages to a very high level. Do you think that could be changed slightly? Because it's very difficult for people coming in at a later age to acquire those three languages at the level necessary. But they might want to give to public office in some way. Yeah. 
I think over time this has to be adapted because we anyway need so many people uh, that we will not find them among the Luxembourgers who speak the three languages. So I think especially in in um, in jobs that are not directly related to the exercise of the sovereign power, like uh, the police or or, or the um, uh, or the, the the upper levels of of a ministry of um, of defense or so. I think indeed uh, a certain openness. Uh, especially with regard to language requirements, uh, will be necessary. Um, Luxembourg on the European stage, what are your views there? We need to be always in the first car of European integration because this is an open economy. This is a country that benefits of the safety, stability of the um, single European market for uh, so many years. So I think Europe will evolve in a way that some countries will move further integrate further, especially if Europe enlarges to, towards uh, the Balkans and so on. And Luxembourg has every interest in being very pro-European. So there will be no looks-it, but we, Luxembourg will be, uh, at least if we are in government, Luxembourg will be very pro-European. Well, Brexit has uh, meant a lot of more people, some of our listeners, have become uh, Luxembourgish, of course. And we are very happy to welcome them here. <laughs> Now, schooling, um, the population, as Steve mentioned at the top of the conversation, is increasing. It's set to continue to increase. Two questions here, really. Uh, do you think there should be a cap on the population for Luxembourg? Do you, do you think it should be kind of toned down, the, the growth, due to housing and all of the amenities that are required to support a rising population, which means schooling and the difficulties they are in, and also transportation? So there's a lot of things combined with population growth at the rate it is growing. I think it's unrealistic. We need growth to finance our uh, standard of living, our pension system, which is a very complex uh, system, but we can't go into that today. But oh, those, yeah, that's a very interesting those who one. Work, <laughs> those who work today pay the pensions of those who are today retired. Yes, and we're so all worried we might not so, get the same. So therefore, I think we are in an... We, we need a continuous growth, and the CSV stands for a sustainable and inclusive growth. So a growth... But we are for growth, but growth, of course, that does not destroy uh, nature too much. But we need growth and those who are against growth do not explain that our pension system depends on that and our entire, our salaries. So we need a certain growth and therefore also we need to continue to keep Luxembourg as a competitive uh, economy. Well, we have one minute left. I give the floor to you to uh, talk to our listeners about anything you want to talk about. If they are voters, I would like to invite them to vote for the CSV, not just because it is the CSV, but I think housing, purchasing power, safety, access to health are issues that require a different policy for the policies for the next few years. Otherwise, I think our country will not be anymore at the level where it used to be. The problems increased the last three to four years and therefore Quick measures are necessary and decisive measures are necessary. This country will always have a, a coalition government because of our voting system. But I hope people will understand that they should vote for a party or for two parties that have a rather coherent policy. And that is their choice. We live in democracy. But I think they should read the election programs that they have in their mailbox.
with the QR code. Luke Frieden, thank you so much for your time. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show as well. And I invite you and all of the parties to join me on our election special between 8pm and midnight here in RTL on Election Day. And of course, dear listeners, please send in your questions for that night as well. Thank you so much for listening and watching. The Lisa Burke Show.